It is a joy to be together, and that is part of our sermon series. These series of messages is about joy and the joy that we have together as a community of faith. I was reading um, a famous author, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, um, the Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, Clive Staples Lewis. Many of you are familiar with him. He also wrote a book titled Surprised by Joy. And in that book, he talks about how his experience of joy and where he has these moments where he was stabbed with joy. It was either through nature or it was through literature or it was through these, these wonderful relationships that he had, long-term friendships that were forged together. And he talks about how these moments were points of sheer joy when he reflected on them. And this is before he acknowledged that there was a God. And he says that through these experiences of joy, these stabs of joy, it moved him from atheism to theism, to believing that there was a God, and from theism to Christianity. He claims it was joy. And he says that joy is the serious business of heaven. The serious business of heaven. And what he means by that is that in heaven, joy is something that consumes heaven and is what joy brings and joy is filled in heaven. And he believed that when we experience joy here on earth, it represents what's going on in heaven in so many words. Stabbed with joy. I find it remarkable. I really like that sense of the serious business of joy and the relationship between joy and heaven. You know, Jesus prayed, and we are to pray. He taught his first disciples to pray. Um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we experience joy, these points of joy in our lives, it's serious business because it reflects heaven. Serious business. So as Lewis discovered uh, this joy in his life, we too, in our sermon series, and our series of messages, have been following the idea of joy, this joy that the Apostle Paul is talking about as he writes to the first century church in Philippi. And you remember, you may recall that as, joy, as Paul is writing, he's writing from a prison cell. We're not sure exactly where he is, but he's in a Roman prison. And he's writing to Philippi, which is a Roman colony, a colony that was dominated by the Roman culture, and the, where things got a little difficult for the first century church was when they gathered for worship, and they claimed that Jesus was their king born, lived among them, crucified, dead, and buried, but rose again. And they claim this Jesus is alive and alive in them. During the culture in the Roman cities, Caesar was king. And so at the very least, the Christians were looked upon with suspicion. And at the very worst, they endured persecution, humiliating persecution. And so Paul continues to write to them, to encourage them, to provide for them the reasons for joy. 
and how he rejoices in their life together. And so we've reached a point, uh, we're in chapter 2, and Paul writes to them, and he gives them instructions. After what we heard last week, a wonderful sermon from Leanna, as we learned about how much Christ loves us, Jesus loves you. Remember we heard that last? Jesus loves you. Not in spite of anything, he just loves you. He loves you. And so here is what he says in chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, because Jesus loves you, dear friends, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence. This is a very important point. He is saying something very profound right here. You are following Christ's teachings. You are living out your life even when I'm not around. If they only followed Jesus when he was around, that wouldn't be Christianity. That would be a cult. You're just following because of a a person. No, they're following Christ. They're following Christ even when he's not around. And then he says this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you. God is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And he says, do all things. Now, many translations are everything. Do everything without murmuring or arguing so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world. It is by your holding fast to the word of life, the word of life, that's Jesus, that I can boast in the day of Christ that I did not run in vain nor labor in vain, But even if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice offering of your faith, he's referring here that he might not make it out of prison alive. Even if I am executed, he says. I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. And in the same way, you must also be glad and rejoice with me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Paul gives quite a bit of instruction here in these few short verses, how they should act as a congregation. In my Thursday morning life group, we meet Thursday morning at 6.30 in the NPR, guys gather together in prayer and around God's word. You're invited. If you, guys, if you need a place to, to pray, come join us. If you want to meet and build some friendships, life group, 6.30 a.m., Thursday morning in the NPR. So we're reading the passage together, this passage. And then I said, well, what, were there any words that stood out to you? And one of the great members of our group, he said, he said yeah, the word everything. And I'm like, wait, everything? I mean, the whole place, the whole passage, you mean everything? No, the word everything is pretty profound in some ways. Because Paul says, do everything without murmuring, without complaining, without grumbling. That sounds impossible. I, can't, I wake up in the morning, <laughs> and I start grumbling. I, I, I've been grumbling about the weather, I confess. I'm like, you know, 
We live in Southern California. What is going on? This, all of May has, was gray, and now June is gloom. Come on. And I proceed from there. I grumble about the headlines. I grumble about the traffic. I grumble about the angels lost again. I can fall into a grumbling state of mind. And then it affects my day. I open up my email box and then I grumble. Slowly grumbling morphs into, as Paul says, murmuring. And we begin to murmur, grumble, murmur, confide in others with this and that and begin to talk about. And then I become an expert in my own mind what's not working, what should be done. And then I start blaming current circumstances on whatever. Am I the only one who does this? No? Okay. Paul instructs the church not to fall into the cycle of murmuring, of grumbling, negativity, negativity about the circumstances and of others. He's not talking about honest critique and review or civil debate. That's fine. I think he's pointing to the incivility that grumbling and murmuring bring out in people. I was listening to a TED Talk this week about the studies of incivility that has taken place and kind of overcoming uh, the workplace and how incivility to one another and just, just how we treat one another in the workplace can demotivate people. They don't want to work as hard. They don't want to even join in. There's no motivation. Incivility. I think that's what Paul is getting at. Don't let grumbling and murmuring consume you as a people. Be grateful. Grumbling is a source of dissatisfaction and lack of gratitude. So stop, he says. Likewise, there's... Later in the passage, he says something about work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. What on earth is that supposed to mean? Isn't that the whole point of grace? Jesus came. I've always been taught that through grace you have been saved. Indeed, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, And he writes to them, he says, For grace you have been saved through faith is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works. Work out your own salvation. Some suggest that as you think about it, work out your own salvation, for it is God that is work in you. God is at work in you. Our relationship with God, our salvation in a sense, is collaborative. As one has said, God works in you, salvation in you, and then you work that salvation out in practical ways, living ways, concrete ways. God initiates that transformation in our lives, stimulating our desire to follow him in faith, inspiring our acts and expressing a desire to follow, providing strength to persevere with joy. And in turn, we respond by deciding to follow and act and through God's inspiration in our lives. Working out our salvation with awe and wonder and reverence for what God has done for us. That's taking 
the business of joy seriously. Maybe it's like breathing. Maybe it's like breathing. We breathe in God's forgiveness. Let's do that together. Ready? Breathe. God's forgiveness. Breathe it in. And we exhale grace. Right? Forgiveness, grace. Breathe in mercy. Breathe out love. Breathe in healing of God's grace in our lives. And forgiveness. And we breathe out compassion for one another. Breathe in. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Breathing in God's forgiveness. What God is doing inside of you, now work it out. Make it known. Breathe in God's love and grace. I recommend that we practice that this week, especially when you begin grumbling. Breathe in God's forgiveness and grace. Breathe out forgiveness and love. But an even larger question jumps out at us in this passage. After we are being reminded of the seriousness of joy, it means not to grumble, not to murmur. The serious business of joy is also working out our salvation, breathing in and breathing out. The larger question is, why does this all matter to Paul? What's the big deal? Well, certainly he hopes, his hopes and prayers for the church will, they'll experience the impact of joy in their lives and the transformation that it takes place in their lives. But there's something more profound, he says, and it comes in the phrase in which you shine like stars in the world. Shine like stars in the world. To shine, to be bright, to give light, to illuminate like a star. Now, not like the Hollywood star, the Hollywood star walk of fame, you know. When you walk on there, you can see there's a star, but there's a name in the middle. And the fame of Sindel is recognized the achievements of an individual in the entertainment industry. Physical brass stars embedded in the sidewalk. Some of you have walked along that. The stars in the night sky are different. Celestial objects that we can appear, that we can see, scattered across the vastness of space. These stars point to a creator. The Hollywood Walk of Fame point is a human-made tribute, and the stars above represent the awe-inspiring blessing, benevolent love of God and His creation. Who among us haven't been out in the wilderness, out wandering in the desert or camping, and where we're not near a city lights, and we look up and you can just be inspired by the vastness and the power and how small we are when you see the stars. Paul is saying, shine like stars. They would understand that. Back in the first century, they didn't have all the lights, and so at night, they could see the stars in ways that we don't normally see. Taking joy seriously means that their lives become a beacon of light, stars that illuminate in the darkness, that point to a creator, a loving God. Earlier uh, during the announcements, Caleb talked about our building project and building on faith, and we're 
hoping to get moving on our fireside room. You know, there's a, and then I think, Julia, you prayed about the beacon, or somebody talked about the beacon. Who was talking about the beacon over here? Yeah, Julia, thank you. Or no, Jessica, you talked about the beacon, that we have a beacon, a, a tower. We're a church is what you were saying, right? A steeple. Okay, you're right. Thank you. I need help. I'm just a pastor. So there is that steeple, which could be a beacon of light to our community. I, I am, imagine with me what that will be like when we drive by at night, when that is done. And that, right now, there's a couple lights that uh, Mike Cox and I put in there on a little timer, and they, they illuminate at night off a timer, but they're not very bright. We could have that lit up, and you could see it. A beacon of light representing what God is doing in and through this congregation. The serious business of joy, dear friends, is to shine like light into this dark and wandering world where there's darkness, there's loneliness, there's confusion, there's incivility, and we can be that beacon of light. That's what Paul is talking about. That's what he encourages his first century church. Listen, the serious business of joy is do everything without grumbling and murmuring. The serious business of joy is to work out what God is working in you in practical ways that can be seen. And when joy is taken seriously, it will shine like stars, become a beacon of light in our dark and weary world.